continue with the series on man, the image of God, and we've had a look at the series so far um, at four different parts of man. We saw, we've had a look at the will of man, we've had a look at the conscience of man, we've had a look at the spirit of man, and we've had a look at the mind of man. And in this particular series of teachings, we're wanting to have a look at the, the body of man, which is the, is the outward man. And so just to recap on uh, the previous teaching that we did uh, on this topic, of the body of man is that we obviously have identified that scripture does teach us that there is an inward man and there is an outward man and uh, one of the scriptures we looked at is in 2 Corinthians 4 16 scripture says therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing yet the inward man is being renewed day by day and so we said that the outward man is our physical bodies that we dwell in and the inward man is made up of those four parts that we've already dealt with um, and then we had a look at the fact in this topic of looking at our bodies, we looked at the fact that these bodies are mortal um, in nature, in that uh, mortal means to be subject to death. And so these physical bodies that we dwell in are all subject to death. Not one of these bodies are designed by God to last for all eternity. Now we, sh we showed in scripture um, that God is able to lengthen uh, the time that these bodies um, can function before they expire. Um, and he's able to shorten that time as well. God is uh, the one who determines how long our lifespan is to be on the earth. And we saw that in the period of Adam through to Noah, the lifespan of mankind, <clears throat> by and large, was close on a thousand years. Um, for God had deemed that that was the time period that mankind would live on the earth. And so their bodies uh, did not deteriorate at the same rate that ours do under the current dispensation. And so if somebody had reached mid-age in uh, that age, that particular period, uh, would have been roughly about 450 years old. And we saw that uh, the youngest that anybody ever got married under that uh, age um, during that time was age 65. We said, you know, age 65 under the current age that we live in is when people are starting to wind down in their lives and not starting to start, uh, that's not the time to go out there and start families. But nevertheless, that's how God deemed it to operate at that time. And then we saw that, we didn't quote the scripture, but you can go look it up, it's in the book of Genesis, um, just after the, the flood of Noah. God changed man's timeline. He said, now man will live 120 years on the earth. Now, in all of this, when God gives a parameter, <coughs> there's always going to be excuse me, exceptions to the rule. And so, when God said 120 years, there were individuals recorded in the scripture that lived, you know, 130, 147 years. Uh, so, you know, fair amount of time beyond the 120. But 120 was the norm. And so most people who lived out their full length of time, because in all of this, we're obviously discussing about uh, people who live out their full length of time on the earth. Now, their full length of time is that time that God has prescribed that mankind can live on the earth, and then these bodies will expire. And so we said that the fact that our bodies are mortal has got nothing to do with sin. It's not because these bodies are sinful in nature. They are, and we had a look at that. That, that is the reason why these bodies expire. Uh, not at all. The, because these bodies are mortal, they are subject to death. And we said even if we were to live sinless lives, uh, our bodies would still expire when, when our time ran out because God had, has prescribed how long mankind shall live on the earth. Um, and then God changed the, the parameters again in uh, David's day. And in Psalm 19, verse 10, the scripture says, The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. And so God has deemed that the, the period of time that mankind gets to live on, on this earth in these physical bodies we dwell in now is for a period of 70 to 80 years. Now again, there are those who go beyond that and go into the, late into their 90s, but that is not the norm. The norm is 70 to 80 years for those who live out a full life on the earth. Um, obviously, there are various reasons why certain people do not live out a full life on the earth, but we're talking about the full life that God has prescribed for these current physical bodies that we dwell in. And then we saw 
that uh, these bodies that we dwell in all contain the sin virus. Um, for our bodies we have inherited um, from Adam. And when Adam committed sin in the Garden of Eden, uh, his body became contaminated with sin. The sin virus entered into his uh, physical body and into his bloodstream. And we saw a scripture in Acts 17.26, and the scripture says, And he, talking about God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And so we saw that all of us can trace our bloodline back to Adam. And so each one of us have his blood flowing through our veins. And because his blood was contaminated with, were contaminated with the sin virus when he committed sin, that same virus flows through our blood. And so these bodies we saw are in fact sinful in nature. So we get born into the earth, our spirits, our inner man, comes directly from God. God is the father of spirits. And so he imparts the inner man into the physical body that is he creates. The book of Psalms speaks about the fact that you formed my inward parts and covered me in my mother's womb. So when, our Lord, when the scripture says that God covered us in his, our mother's womb, it's talking about our outward man was uh, covered our inward man in our mother's womb. Now that outward man, which is the physical body, is sinful in nature because it comes from that bloodline. And so, although the inward man, when that person is born into the earth or conceived, um, is from God and is sinless at that time and remains sinless until the age of 13, and we're not going to go into any kind of teaching along that line, um, nevertheless, the body that they dwell in is sinful in nature because it has inherited its nature from Adam through the bloodline. And so we saw that the sin virus dwells in our bodies and uh, you can go back and listen to that teaching to, to get the, the, the full gist of, of that uh, side of it. And then we briefly had a look at the fact that uh, at our immortal bodies that we will one day receive from the Lord. So currently these bodies are mortal but our, our new bodies that we will receive when our Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth will be immortal so they will no longer be subject to death. Death will have no dominion over those bodies. Those bodies will not get sick. Those bodies will not tire. Those bodies will not need any rest. Those bodies will never ever die. Um, they will be perfect. Um, just like the spirit of man, born again, is a perfect creation of God. So those bodies will be perfect. And we can we looked at the scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse from verse 51. The apostle Paul writing, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And so, although these bodies are mortal and every one of us is subject to death, there are a grouping of saints who will never taste physical death uh, because they will be alive and on the earth when our Lord returns to the earth. And so their bodies will not die physically. Their bodies will change instantly. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, talking about the physical bodies we dwell in now, must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so these bodies will one day become immortal bodies. Uh, God will, if, if we too are to die because our Lord tarries and we go to join Him in heaven, our bodies are sown into the earth and so these bodies will be raised, immortal bodies. So they're sown into the earth as a seed, the Bible teaches us, and God raises them up. Incorruptible. Incorruptible means that there's no more, uh, there's only righteousness that will dwell in our bodies uh, that we receive from the Lord our heavenly bodies. Um, and so whereas currently these bodies are only sinful in nature, they can only uh, ever commit sin, um, the new bodies that we will receive will only be righteous in nature. And so the spirit and the body will be completely in sync when uh, we get our resurrected bodies. 
at the same time those bodies will never be subject to death we will never die because they will be immortal in nature and so that kind of bringing us up to speed with what we touched on in the previous teaching now what we want to do today is we're wanting to look this teaching on the body of man is going to be very practical because our bodies are you know what we do with them is practical stuff and we're wanting to see what the, the scripture teaches us how we should treat our bodies what we should be doing with our bodies according to the word of god and there obviously are always going to be spiritual connotations with that which we do because we don't walk in the flesh we walk in the spirit and a lot of people I can see straight away thinking well wait a minute why are we dealing on the body because isn't the body walking in the flesh and we're called to walk in the spirit yes we are but nevertheless these bodies form part of our spiritual walk and we'll see that as we go through scripture and so the first thing we want to identify um, with regards to our, the body of man under the new covenant is that the, our bodies belong to God um, under the old covenant that was not the case God did not own the bodies of the unbelievers of the Old Testament saints but he does own our body let's have a look at a scripture that helps us well that highlights that truth to us 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, verse 19 and 20 uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul writing to the church says or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God talking about the Holy Spirit and you are not your own for you were bought at a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's and so we understand the concept very clearly that our spirits belong to God for we're born again and uh, our spirits are born up from God but God also has bought our bodies now he bought our bodies with the same purchase price that he bought our spirits and that is with the blood of the lamb and so these bodies have been bought and paid for by God um, and you say but if they're bought by God why are they still sinful in nature because God is going to use these bodies to sow them into if we, if, if we are to expire before our Lord returns to sow them into the ground to give us our resurrected body so that's the seed that God had bought um, and obviously if we're alive when our Lord returns our bodies will be changed but nevertheless God has purchased not only our spirits but he has also purchased our bodies the Bible is very plain on this issue our bodies belong to God so we need to understand that concept now the way we need to understand the concept is from this point of view you can it, it helps us to understand and that is is that God is the landlord uh, we are tenants in these houses remember we saw in the previous teaching that these bodies are in fact houses that we reside in our inward man is the real man these these bodies are given to us by God as a house to reside in now even though this house is a temporary structure before we saw that our, the Bible calls our earthly bodies a tent and a tent is a temporary structure it is not because it's a temporary structure uh, we can do with our bodies as we so please because you know they, they're, they're temporary anyway so they're going to expire so you know we can live our lives as we choose with these bodies not at all because these bodies don't belong to us these bodies belong to God God bought them and so let's get back to the concept of a, a landlord and a tenant what has happened is that God has gone to wherever and I don't want to get into technicality I'm just trying to put the point across God has gone to wherever and he's purchased the rights to our body he now owns he owns the title deed to our bodies we are tenants in his, his property so he owns this body that I live in now I'm his I'm a tenant he allows me to dwell inside his property this this body belongs to God and he allows me to dwell in it now as a tenant I have certain rights and I have certain responsibilities as a tenant of the property I dwell in God on the other hand as the landlord of the property he also has certain rights 
and certain responsibilities for the property. And so that's kind of how you can get your mind around how, because we're going to go through the teaching on the body, and you will see that God is responsible for certain aspects of our bodies. And we'll get to that, uh, not not only today, but as we get in deeper into the teaching. But we too, as tenants, are responsible for certain aspects of our bodies. Now, we enjoy the benefits thereof because we can breathe and we can walk around, we can experience uh, taste, feel, touch, uh, sight, all of those things that God blesses us with uh, through our natural senses, the, uh, the senses of the body. Um, we can uh, enjoy life, basically. Um, and God gives us that ability because he says, all right, I'm giving you access to this property that belongs to me, and this is what you can do with it. And so we just need to get our minds around the fact that um, our bodies belong to God. He is, in fact, the owner. We are tenants inside property that belongs to him. It will help you to understand how we should be treating our bodies because because these bodies belong to God, uh, He expects us to look after them. And so if we do any damage to His property, He will hold us to an account. Um, but at the same time, again, let's go back to the tenant-landlord scenario. Um, if something goes wrong with the, the property that you, you're residing in the natural, um, let's say it's a plumbing issue for argument's sake, um, you go to the landlord, you say, there's something wrong with the plumbing. The landlord is then responsible for calling out the plumber to fix the plumbing um, because that's his responsibility as the landlord of that property. But if you go and break the window in the house, well then you as the, the tenant are responsible for replacing the window. And so that's how the dual responsibility kind of works in the natural. And it has similar connotations in the spirit as well with regards to our physical bodies. And so we, you know, it just helps us to understand the concept about the fact that these bodies in fact do belong to God. But nevertheless, we reside in them and God has given us use of them um, because we need a house to live in. And so God has provided that house for us. Now, with regards, so that's the one concept we need to get our minds around with regards to our bodies. There is another concept we need to get our minds around under the new covenant. Because again, don't forget, under the old covenant, God did not own their bodies. Now, why is that? There were two reasons that God didn't own their bodies. It was because the Holy Spirit did not reside within the, uh, the bodies of the saints under the old covenant. He couldn't reside within their bodies because the spirits were not born again. And because their spirits were not born again, the Holy Spirit couldn't reside within their spirits. Because with the, under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit resides in my body because he resides in my spirit. And my spirit is what is residing inside my body. And so that's the reason why my body has become his temple. Um, under the old covenant, that couldn't happen because their spirits were not born again. So God did not own the bodies of the Old Testament saints. And the, Holy, and the Old Testament saints, their, spirit, their bodies were not his temple. That's why he had a physical temple built that he could... Uh, dwell in, uh, you know, it's not the right concept, it, it, but it's a Bible, a biblical concept, that's what the Lord said. Um, but we understand that God dwells in heaven, but nevertheless, he, he allowed the Jews to build a temple for him. But their physical bodies were not his temple. Under the new covenant, things change. Under the new covenant, our physical bodies have become the temple of God. And so God no longer dwells, dwells in a temple made with hands, he dwells within our physical bodies because he dwells within our spirits and so our bodies have become the temple of God um, and so that's the difference between Old Testament saint and New Testament saint our bodies belong to God and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit An Old Testament saint their bodies did not belong to God and their bodies were not the temple of the Holy Spirit big difference between the two saints now we, let's have a look at another aspect with regards to Old Covenant New Covenant and that is, is that the sacrifice under the Old Covenant and the sacrifice under the New Covenant has changed. There are, two, there are still sacrifices offered to God, but the sacrifice, the nature of the sacrifice has changed. And the scripture we'll look at straight away to just bring that truth out to us is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The scripture says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, 
your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so under the new covenant, we present a sacrifice to God. And that sacrifice that we present to God is in fact our earthly bodies, these bodies we dwell in. We present it to God as a living sacrifice. Now under the old covenant, they never could do that because their bodies were not um, presentable to God because the Holy Spirit wasn't residing within it and God didn't own them. And so they presented sacrifices at the temple. That's the kind of sacrifices that they present. They presented sacrifices of bulls and rams and lambs and goats um, on the altar. That's the sacrifice that they offered to God. We, on the other hand, present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And so under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, a sacrifice is still offered to God. But the sacrifice has changed. The nature of the sacrifice has changed. But nevertheless, the principles around the sacrifice has not changed. So what do I mean by that? Well, under the Old Covenant, when, they, when you wanted to present an offering to the Lord, a sacrifice I'm talking about now, um, you couldn't present uh, a lamb with a blemish. It had to be free of blemish, blemishes. So it, it had to be holy before the Lord. And... That was acceptable to God. That was an, a sacrifice that was acceptable to Him. Under the New Covenant, the, the, the nature of the sacrifice has changed, but the, because it's our bodies that we present to God. Um, but nevertheless, we cannot present to God uh, a sacrifice that is, that is damaged and blemished in any way. Now, I'm not talking about the fact if you've got a physical defect, you can't present your body to the Lord. That's not the case at all. We're talking about blemishes in the way that we treat our bodies. Because look at the, what the scripture says. Um, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so when we present our bodies to God, they are to be holy and acceptable to God. And so we're required to live holy lives as far as our bodies are concerned because these bodies are meant to be presented to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Now when we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, it's not a case of once a week we go to, uh, uh, to church and that's when we present our bodies to the Lord. Not at all. Um, we're to present our bodies to God every single day because we walk with the Lord all the time. And so we are the temple of the Holy Spirit all the time. He dwells within us all the time. And that's why he talks about present your body a living sacrifice. So whatever we do, we're meant to be presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And that is the, the difference between the sacrifices under the Old and the New Covenant. Now there's obviously also the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise that we offer to God with the fruit of our lips. But again, that is using our physical bodies. For it is with our bodies that we speak to God. And it's with our bodies we raise our hands to God and we worship Him and we give Him glory. But uh, we do all of that in the Spirit through the body. We, these bodies are used to offer our sacrifice, our living sacrifice to God. Now, I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture that God places the ownership, onus on us. We are the ones that are to present our bodies to God, a living sacrifice. God doesn't do this for us. What God does when we come into the kingdom of God under the new covenant, He gives us new spirits and He cleanses our conscience. But He does nothing with our bodies. He expects us to now take our bodies and present it to Him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. Now God would not ask us to do something that was not possible, uh, for He's not unjust. And so if God expects us to do this, it's because God has given us the ability to do just that. Now, under the Old Covenant, the saints couldn't do what we are expected to do under the New Covenant. Why do I say that? Because we are born again, and we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. And so as born-again creations of God, we have the ability to present our bodies before God, a living sacrifice, even though... They are still sinful in nature, because don't forget the previous teaching, we dealt with that extensively, that these bodies carry the sin virus. Under the Old Covenant, the saints couldn't do that, because 
Their spirits were not born again. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. And so they couldn't present their bodies to God, a living sacrifice. They didn't have the capacity to do that. We, on the other hand, under the new covenant, have full capacity to do that. And that is why God can quite rightly expect of us to present our bodies to Him, a living sacrifice. So to give, so what does it mean to present our bodies to Him, a living sacrifice, holy and, accept, and, and acceptable unto Him? Well, another passage of Scripture which just gives us more insight as to what God actually is expecting of us when He says, I want you to present your body to me as a living sacrifice. Don't forget, He is the, the landlord. He's the owner of that body. And so if the only expects us to present our bodies to him, then, you know, as a tenant, we should be presenting our bodies to him. So what does it mean? Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, the scripture says, And do not present your members, talking about your physical body now, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. Remember, we need to present us, our bodies as a living sacrifice. Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members, talking about your physical bodies, as instruments of righteousness to God. And so that is what God is talking about when he says, you guys need to be presenting your bodies to me, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to me. So Lord, what, what does that mean? What must we be doing? He says, well, you should be presenting your bodies, your members, as instruments of righteousness. And no longer present your bodies as instruments of uh, unrighteousness leading to sin. Um, unrighteousness to sin. Um, why is that? Because I'm, the, I'm now the owner of that body that you dwell in. And so I don't take kindly to the fact that you take my property and use it negligently. In that you abuse my property. In that you give your body over to unrighteousness and to sin. I expect you to give your body over to righteousness because that body belongs to me. And I expect you to present it to me uh, and present your members to me as instruments of righteousness so that I can use it <clears throat> because the body belongs to me. I want to use that body from time to time. I want you to get on your knees and pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to walk over to your neighbor and go and witness to that neighbor about salvation in, in Christ Jesus. I want you to lay hands on the sick person who is in hospital and pray for them so that I can heal them. I want you to do, and you can only do that through the body that I've given you. And so that's what I want you to do with the body that I've, I've bought now. And that's what I expect. I don't want you to take the, my body that I bought and go and commit sin with that body. That's not what you're meant to do at all. That's God speaking to us. Now, God can speak to us like that because God has enabled us to do exactly that. Under the old covenant, they couldn't do it. They didn't have the spiritual capacity to bring their bodies in line. Um, their bodies were always going to really rule the roost, kind of. Even though they, they lived as holy a life as they possibly could, they were still going to be um, subject to all kinds of weird stuff because their bodies, the sin in, 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 the, in the body is more powerful than the will, will of man. And we've dealt with that when we dealt with uh, uh, the will in that series. And so God expects the believer under the new covenant to live a far holier life than the saint under the old covenant. And he can expect us to do that because he has enabled us to do that. You say, okay, I understand I'm born again and the Holy Spirit resides within me. But where do we see in Scripture that God has given me the ability to um, make sure that my body is always going to be uh, uh, an offering of to, to righteousness. It's always going to be, I'll be able to present my members as instruments of righteousness and not be subject to instruments of unrighteousness. Well, the scripture we can look at is in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, um, and then we're going to read verse 13 as well. Uh, the scripture says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, 
for what purpose? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so Old Testament saints could not do this because um, they couldn't put to death the deeds of the body by, through the Spirit because their spirits were spiritually dead. They didn't have this capacity that the New Testament saint does have. Now we have it because Jesus Christ has condemned sin in the flesh. So there's a whole, and we've dealt with it in previous teachings, about the sacrifice of what our Lord actually did for us on the cross. But one of the things that our Lord did for us when he was on the earth is that he condemns sin in the flesh. Now, how did he do that? It's because he was born in a body in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, he didn't have sinful flesh. Uh, he didn't have the sin virus flowing through his veins like we do. Nevertheless, God was able, because God is God, to place our Lord Jesus Christ in a body in the likeness of sinful flesh. So our Lord's body had the same capacity to commit sin just as ours do. It's just that our Lord never, ever gave in to that temptation to commit sin. And so in living a full life on the earth, never once committing any sin, even though he was in a body that had, was in the likeness of sinful flesh, he, through that process, condemned sin in the flesh because he overcame sin in the flesh because he never, ever submitted to it. Now, Jesus dwells within us. The book of Galatians um, teaches us, Galatians 3, I think it is, says, For it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Um, and so it is Christ who lives in us. Now, he lives in us by the Holy Spirit that he has imparted to us. And so the same Jesus who overcame sin in the flesh while he was, who condemned sin in the flesh while he was in the, in the world, when he walked in the earth, dwells within us now. And he gives us that same ability to overcome sin in our flesh. And so we are, through Christ, able to do verse 13. We are able by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. And so we can live. Old Testament saints couldn't, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body because their spirits were not born again. They didn't have Jesus living on the inside of them, enabling them to put to death the deeds of the body. We do. And so as born-again believers, we have full capacity to put to death the deeds of the body. And thus, we are able, in verse 4, the scripture says, that we can meet the righteous requirements of the law, that they, the righteous requirement of the Lord might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh. So there's a choice that's placed before us, but according to the Spirit. So as we as believers walk according to the Spirit, and you go back and look at the, listen to the teaching we did on the series on the Spirit of Man, as we yield to our spirits, so we are able, because Christ enables us from inside of us, we're able to put to death the deed of the body, and we can thus fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And so... God is not unjust to expect the saints of the, under the new covenant to live a holier life than the saints under the old covenant because we have so much more going for us. They didn't have this uh, resource that they could tap into. Now, we are the ones who have to tap into that resource. We have to, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. If we choose not to do that, well, then our, our bodies will dominate us and not our spirits. But we need to learn to let the Spirit of the born-again believer dominate our lives and thus put under the deeds of the body. And we can most definitely do that. Um, another scripture we can look at is in Romans chapter 7, verse 23 to 25. The Apostle Paul speaking, he says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, speaking about his inward man, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we've really dealt with in the previous teaching the fact that these bodies are sinful in nature. And sin is powerful. Sin uh, is able to bring into captivity people that yield to it. Our Lord said it. He said, he who commits sin becomes the slave of sin. And that's what uh, the Apostle Paul is saying here. He says, 
I see another law in my members, talking about his physical body, warring against the law of my mind, talking about his inward man, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, talking about his body. And so if a Christian allows their bodies to dominate them, they get brought into captivity. Their bodies begin to exercise control over their lives. They no longer are walking in liberty as they are called to walk. But he recognizes, he said, I've got this problem. I'm a wretched man. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And God reveals to him, Jesus Christ has done it. In that Christ has condemned sin in the flesh. We had a look at that scripture. And so Christ who dwells in us, has already condemned sin in the flesh and is well able to continue to do that through us as we allow him to. As we are yielded to our spirits, God empowers us to dominate our bodies, not the other way around. And that's where the, the Christian life, uh, part of what the Christian life is, is that while we said we, we need to be walking in the spirit and not walking in the flesh. Well, if we walk in the flesh, our bodies dominate us. If we walk in the Spirit, we dominate our bodies. And that's how God expects us to walk this Christian walk. We're meant to dominate our bodies. We're not meant to allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies. Although sin is there present, we, have, we can exercise dominion over sin in our bodies. Uh, the Bible teaches us, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law and grace. And it's the grace of God that enables us to overcome sin in our bodies. Now, in order for us to, to, to do that, it takes discipline. There is, um, you know, we call disciples of the Lord. And so it does. You, 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 it's not going to just happen, uh, you know, because now, Lord, I'm a born-again son of God. I thank you. It's just going to happen. It's not going to just happen. We have to actively discipline our bodies. There is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.23, that it's uh, one of the fruit of the Spirit, the last fruit of the Spirit, is the fruit of self-control. Now, that is the Spirit controlling ourselves. Now, what self is it controlling? Not controlling the Spirit, because we want to walk in the Spirit. It's controlling the self of the flesh. And that's what the fruit of the, of the Spirit is, self-control. We're meant to keep our flesh under, and it, that takes discipline. It's not, gonna, it's not an easy uh, walk in the natural. Once you, but once you walk in the Spirit, then it does become easy. But in the natural, the, the Bible says that he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so when we, we walk in righteousness, we've ceased from sin. And so when we do that, the flesh suffers because the flesh wants to commit sin. Our bodies, their, their natural hardwiring is to commit sin. And so if our bodies are not allowed to commit sin, they're going to suffer. But in the spirit, we rejoice. And so that is where we have to learn to walk. One of the aspects we have to learn this Christian walk is as an act of discipline, we bring our bodies into subjection to us. We're meant to rule our bodies, not the other way around. Now, a lot of Christians, it is the other way around. Their bodies rule them and dominate them in all sorts of aspects. But as Christians, we're meant to live the other way around. Our bodies will do whatever we tell them to do. Our bodies uh, you know, are not uh, that powerful that they will just go ahead and do whatever they want to do. Not at all. We control our bodies. But if we choose not to control them, well, then our bodies will control us. But as I said, we have the ability, and our bodies will always do what we tell them to do. Um, and as Christians, we have the ability to do that. But we have to exercise that self-control. We have to, it's a disciplined lifestyle. It's not uh, going to just happen because you say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. That's not going to get the job done. We actually have to do the stuff. We have to exercise the fruit of self-control. And say to your body, body, that we, we're going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and we're going to pray. Um, body, you're going to fast on this day. Body, you're going to go uh, to church on this day. And the body's going to say, oh, but I want to sleep in. The body's going to say, but oh, I want to go and, and I don't know what I want to fast. I want to go have a, a, a great meal. And you're going to say to the body, no, that's not, and we don't eat that anymore. We don't eat these kind of foods. Uh, I'm just putting stuff out there. And so, even the Apostle Paul, who was roughly about the most spiritual of our Lord's saints that lived on the planet, he also had to keep his body under, and he recognized it. And so if he had to, so will we. 
And the scripture is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, But I discipline my body. So there's the discipline coming in there. A, a disciple of the Lord walks a disciplined life style. You say, that sounds like works. Yes, it is, actually. It is works. And we're meant to do works. Yeah, you, there's, there's teaching on grace that there's no works involved. That's absolute rubbish. Um, there's no works to come into the kingdom of God. You, nothing we can do can bring us into the kingdom. We come in by grace through faith. That's it. But once we're in the kingdom, then we're expected to do works. Works of righteousness. And I'm not going to get into uh, the, the teaching on that issue today, but nevertheless, there are things that we are called to do. And they're works. Um, but they're works done in the spirit, not done in the flesh. There is a difference. And you need to understand the difference. But here we go. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I preach, have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so Paul recognized that if he didn't keep his body under control, it was going to control him. And that's where the Christian walk has to take place. One of the aspects, we as presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Living means you're living all the time. So it's not a case of, Lord, I'll present my body to you on Sunday, but for the rest of the week it's mine. Not at all. The whole time it belongs to God, and He expects us to be presenting it to Him all the time as uh, instruments and members of righteousness. And so He can use them as He deems fit. And so these bodies belong to Him. He allows us, by His grace, to use our bodies for other things as well, obviously. And He blesses us in that. But nevertheless, in the back of our minds, we must always remember, these bodies belong to Him. And we have to present them to Him all the time as a living sacrifice. What does, living, what does a sacrifice do? Sacrifice is on the altar. So you don't get up off the altar and say, Lord, I'll come back and I'll lie the altar this afternoon. But uh, for the rest of the day, I'm off the altar. No, we're always on the altar because a sacrifice is on the altar and so we said we we're going to touch on some practical stuff in this teaching because you know these bodies looking after them and doing what God expects us to do is all practical stuff and so the first area we want to touch on is the area of fasting because fasting involves the body it's not a the, again I said it at the outset of the, outset of the teaching that what we do practically with our bodies has spiritual connotations, always. Otherwise, we shouldn't be doing it. Um, but nevertheless, fasting is a practical thing that affects the physical body. It impacts on our spiritual walk, but it, it affects the physical body. And so we do need to be uh, giving ourselves time for fasting. Uh, we know that our Lord, when He went into the, the wilderness, He fasted for a period of 40 days and 40 nights. Matthew chapter 4 verse 2 talks about that. Um, but that wasn't the only time our Lord fasted. Our Lord fasted many times while He was on the earth. And we will touch on some, some scriptures along that line. Um, but our Lord expects us, as His saints, also to give ourselves to fasting. Now, He's never commanded us to fast. There's no commandment in the Bible, thou shalt fast. God said, a new commandment I've given you, that you love one another. That's the commandment that we have under the new covenant, to love one another and to love God. Um, but he's, ne he's never commanded us to fast. But nevertheless, look what He says, Mark, 20, Mark chapter 2, verse 20. He says, But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So which days is he talking about? He's talking about the days now, right now, that we live in it. Because the bridegroom has been taken away from us. And he said, in that day, then they will fast in that day. So he's not saying you must fast, but he is implying quite strongly that he expects us to fast. For he says, and then they will fast in those days. Because obviously the dispute had arisen um, that... His disciples, when our Lord was on the earth, was not, were not fasting. John's disciples were fasting, the Pharisees were fasting, but the Lord's disciples were not fasting. So the guys were complaining about it. And our Lord then mentioned this comment. Um, but nevertheless, during our Lord's life, He gave Himself to fasting. And we'll have a look at uh, that. And so our Lord implies very strongly that He expects us to fast in this life while He is away. That's now's the time for us to give ourselves to fasting. And our Lord even taught us how we should do it. 
because you hear people say there's no teaching in the Bible that how to fast and so fasting is not really uh, for the church today well that's again rubbish because everything that our Lord everything that was up to John's ministry was the old covenant because there is that weird teaching that says that uh, the old covenant uh, was up to the cross and from the cross uh, it's the new covenant um, again that's rubbish because um, Luke 16 16 our Lord says that the law and the prophets were up to John, uh, up until John. From the time of John, um, the kingdom of God is preached. So when John started to preach in the earth, that's when the kingdom of God was preached. When our Lord was in the earth, he preached the kingdom of God, and the church continues to preach the kingdom of God. So from the time of John up until today, it's the kingdom of God that is preached. So everything that Jesus taught was for the church, because he was preaching about the kingdom of God. And so even though, yes, at the cross, the testament was brought into effect because you know a testament, a will and testament has no effect until somebody dies. And so yes, the, the will and the testament was only brought into effect from the cross. Nevertheless, the will was written before you, people write their wills before they die. And so our Lord Jesus in his life uh, gave us his will and testament well, right from the beginning of the Bible. The whole Bible is his will and testament. And so it, it was brought into effect at the cross, without a doubt. But all of that was written before is part of the will. And so we read the will to determine what is available to us and what conditions we are meant to meet in order to receive certain benefits from the will. And you go to any will that's read at any um, law firm when a person passes away, quite often in the will there is an inheritance, but there's a condition linked to the inheritance. If uh, Joe Soap does this, they can have that uh, out, of, out of the estate. And so Joe Soap, in order to get that from the estate, has to fulfill the condition. And the lawyer is there to check that he does fulfill the condition. If he does, he gets what, uh, what's, what's coming to him. If he doesn't fulfill the condition, that's it. Even though it's potentially his, because he hasn't met the condition, he doesn't inherit uh, that part of, from the will. That's in the natural. In, this, in, in the, uh, the new covenant we're under, same thing. Jesus died. He left us his will and testament. And in his will and testament, and that's right from book of uh, Genesis all the way through to um, book of Acts when our Lord ascended into heaven. All of that is the Lord's will and testament. We read it and we can uh, appropriate for ourselves. So our Lord gives instructions to his church as to how we are to fast. In Matthew 16, verse, uh, Matthew 6, verse 17 and 18. Um, our Lord says, but you, when you fast, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. Again, the implication is very strong. Jesus wants his church to fast. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so fasting is something that our Lord practiced and fast in our Lord, as I say, has really implied and he's given us instruction how to do it. That as his church, he expects us to give ourselves to fasting. Now somebody says, yeah, okay, but no, fasting doesn't change God. And that's true. God is the same before you fast, during your fast, and after you fast. He doesn't change. So what's the benefit of fasting? What, what's going to make the difference? Well, fasting has the, the effect of releasing the grace of God into our lives. Now God imparts, so God doesn't change, but nevertheless God makes available to us His grace when we fast. You say, where do you get that? Well, the scripture says that God gives grace to the humble. James 4.16 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so those who are humble before the Lord, they're the ones that receive grace. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, fasting is uh, an expression of humbling ourselves before God. That's what fasting does. We, we humble ourselves before God through fasting. You say, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, that's a little bit of pride there. And the Bible says God resists the proud. 
that gives grace to the humble. So I need as much grace as I can get. So <laughs> the Bible tells me that uh, uh, fasting is a way for me to humble myself before the Lord so that I can, because God gives grace to the humble, well then that's the, the, the way I'm going to go. And, you know, there's not one person in the, in, on the earth that ever received more grace in his life than Jesus Christ our Lord. He received far more grace than any, all of us put together um, because he needed it. I mean, you know, Jesus really <laughs> did stuff that uh, none of us are ever called to do. Um, but he, and he needed the grace of God in his life so that he could do what he needed to do in the earth. Now, he received grace from God, and one of the ways he received grace from God was he humbled himself through fasting. Let's have a look at a couple of scriptures that reveal this truth to us. Both of these accounts in scripture are the words of our Lord Jesus while he was on the earth, and he's speaking to God the Father, and look at what he says. Psalm 35 verse 13, our Lord says, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. Uh, Psalm 69, verse 10. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. And so our Lord Jesus Christ definitely gave himself to fasting. Now this is not the only reason that God gave poured grace out in our Lord's life. There is other aspects to our Christian walk that also attract the grace of God. But this is one way that we can attract the grace of God to our lives, is to humble ourselves with fasting. Jesus did it. We're no better than him. And he lived a perfect life, sinless. So, you know, how much more should we not give ourselves to fasting? If our Lord Jesus, and so it was not during only that 40-day period in the, God, in, the, in the wilderness when our, our Lord fasted. He fasted, he practiced fasting as part of his lifestyle when he walked on the earth. Um, and there's much scripture that uh, proves that particular point. Um, and as a result of that, he attracted the grace of God to his life. And we need to be doing exactly this. And this is one method of us being able to um, receive grace from God. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if we would humble ourselves through fasting, as our Lord did, then we can expect God to impart his grace to us in whatever area we are needing his grace to be sent and given to us for. Um, and believe me, we certainly do need the grace of God. Now, you say, well, how does that really tie in with fasting? Well, why is it that the grace of God is imparted to me through fasting? Um, again, let's get back to the concept of our bodies being offered to God as a living sacrifice. Now, go back again to the Old Covenant, because the Old Covenant was type and shadows of the, of the New. And so what was there under the Old Covenant pointed to the New. And we go back to the, the, the sacrifices that were offered under the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, all the sacrifices uh, were offered on the altar um, and burnt, but not all sacrifices uh, let me get this my wording right, okay. When, when an animal was sacrificed to the Lord, depending on the type of sacrifice that was being offered, let's say a sin sacrifice, when a sin sacrifice was offered to the Lord, then only certain parts of the animal were placed upon the altar and offered to God as, as the sacrifice. The rest of the animal was then taken outside of the camp and burnt and completely destroyed. Um... And so there are certain sacrifices under the Old Covenant that not all parts of the animal were burnt on the altar to God. And I've just explained one of them. But in every sacrifice, and I'm talking about animal sacrifice, now I'm not talking about the grains offerings and the thanksgiving and those kind of offerings. Again, we're doing purely Old Covenant now. I'm just trying to get the, the, how they offered and bring that over into the New Covenant so we can understand. Every animal sacrifice that was offered under the Old Covenant, there was one part of the animal that was always burnt on the altar. And that was the fat. The fat of the animal was always offered to God as the sacrifice. 
So even if it was a sin sacrifice and the, the rest of the body was taken out and burned outside the camp, nevertheless the fat was offered to God. Um, and the reason for that is because the fat belongs to God. Again, let's just stay under the Old Covenant. We'll, come, we'll bring it out into the New now. And so let's have a look at the scripture that just highlights that truth first. Levit Leviticus chapter 3 verse 16. The scripture says, And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. And so whenever the, the children of Israel offered us animal sacrifice to God, they had to offer the fat to God because the fat belonged to God. Now the fat spoke of abundance because whenever we go and just look at our physical bodies now, when our bodies become fat, it's because they have taken on more than they actually need, and they are it's now storing up fat because you know they're just they're not using up that energy, so it gets stored up as fat. So that speaks of abundance and, and blessing, and so that fat belongs to God. Now let's now bring that over to the new covenant, okay? And the first person we'll look at is our Lord Jesus Christ. He, fasting is, is a, a type of offering our fat to God because all the fat belongs to God because it speaks of the, the blessing and the abundance of the Lord. That belongs to God. And so when we fast, the very first thing that your body draws on um, as re reserve energy is the fat in the body it starts to consume that. And so the fat begins to reduce. And in the spirit, that's being presented unto God as an offering. You say, gee, you really extrapolated that out quite far. Well, when our Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, he, remember, okay, now let's take a look at this. Uh, there, were there were two offerings that had to be offered under the old covenant that were linked together. The sin offering and the burnt offering. Those were two linked together. Now, with the sin offering, the fat was offered on the altar, but the body had to be burned outside the camp. With the burnt offering, the whole body was offered on the altar. Fat and everything was burnt on, on the altar. Now, those two sacrifices combined pointed to Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Book of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus, when he suffered, he suffered outside of the camp. And so... The, he, he, Jesus was a combined offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering because he, he suffered outside of the camp and the Bible teaches us we should go and suffer outside of the camp with him but he also offered up his, his whole body to God the Father so he was the perfect sin sacrifice and burnt offering at the same time so where does the fat come in? because our Lord suffered outside of the, 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 the camp he suffered outside of the, of the temple. Well, that happened prior to our Lord going to the cross. The fat was offered. Where was the fat offered? Our Lord fasted and prayed before he went to the cross. So much so that he had no fat on his body when he went to the cross. There was no fat there at all. He had fasted to that degree that his body was completely free from all fat. When I say free from all fat, that fat had now been offered to God. Now the body could be, could suffer outside of the camp. And then he could offer up his, his whole body to, to God the Father. So that's the type and shadow of the, the sin offering. That's why there's two offerings, the sin offering and the burnt offering. Because God had to do it with two offerings. What Jesus did for us, God had to do two offerings, type of, to explain what Jesus actually did for us. And so when I say that Jesus went to the cross with no fat on his body, we pick that up in Scripture, Psalm 109, verse 24. Our Lord describing his body before he goes to the cross. He says, My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh is feeble from lack of fatness. And so Jesus, when he went to the cross, had no fat. He was fasting all the time. Remember when he goes into three, four days before he goes uh, to the cross and they go into Jerusalem and the Bible says he's hungry and he goes to the, the fig tree because he was hungry. And the reason he was hungry was because he was fasting. And he was fasting at that time to that degree that there was no fat. When, the, when our Lord went to the cross, 
All the fat had really been offered to God through our Lord's fasting. And so that's one of the spiritual connotations that take place when we fast before the Lord. We humble ourselves before God because we now bring in our bodies into subjection. And at the same time, we are presenting our fat. Sounds kind of weird, but that's exactly what's happening. We're presenting our fat to the Lord because the fat is the Lord's. And so that's one of the things that we do when we fast um, before God. Um, and I'm actually going to, let me just see if we've got more time. It's five seconds. Now, I'm going to end the teaching on that particular point today. We'll continue on with fasting on the, on the next teaching, and then we'll tap into some other areas with regards to presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. But that's where I'm going to close off the teaching for today on fasting, and we trust that the Lord bless you. Amen.